With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in to 11 Personnel presented by our good friends at Monticello Bank. Download the GoNBC mobile app. Bank anywhere, anytime with Monticello Bank and lock it. I think we've got some news to announce. Yes, you want to you wanna jump on that, Mr. Roush? Well, it's officially official. 11 personnel, we are hitting the road June 14th. So that is a little less than two weeks, week from yesterday. June 14th, noon o'clock. Come meet me. Come meet Luckett. Ask his questions. We're going to be hanging out at the Monticello Bank on Ormsby Station Road. I believe that's in Linden, Kentucky. That's correct. Yeah. So, uh, right, not too far off that Shelbyville Road exit and the Waterson. Linden, nice area. Uh, you can maybe hang out with – maybe Jay from Linden will show up. That would be huge for the podcast. <laughs> uh, some podcast synergy there. Yeah, right where, you know, you take Hurstbourne Road all the way to the end. And that, that'll get you to Ormsby or about that area. So, um, yeah, we're going to do a live show. First first ever live show I think we've ever done, like with people there. I mean, we've yeah, done a hotel yeah. lobby at the draft, but <laughs> and that was full of people not knowing who the hell we were in the middle of North Kansas City. But, yeah, live show. If you take off lunch, we would greatly appreciate it to yeah. come by and just hang out. And we're going to be in a bank uh, getting – Wild and rowdy at Monticello Bank on a Wednesday afternoon in June. What could go wrong? Club going up <laughs> on a Wednesday. Um, it's actually also on the heels of camp season. So yeah. we have the big Sunday showcase camp uh, coming up this weekend, which we still don't know where we're going to park. But by God, we're going to find a way to get there. Uh, and then there will be a string of individual day camps where guys like Stone Saunders, um, you know, you kind of have a few sprinkled in here and there that become – Big names. Uh, Dear yeah. Jackson, once upon a time, picked up a scholarship offer after attending one of those. So we'll be able to – I think – Jacob Dixon be, last year. I, I think he came to the showcase camp. Yeah, and then they invited got, him back for a one day. And he got offered pretty much because he was at that – he put up big numbers at that first Sunday showcase camp. So when you have the two Sunday camps, you've got that one, June 4th, and then the 11th is kind of their OLDL camp. And so that'll be – a big one too and then the other ones it's just kind of those can be kind of hit or miss it just sometimes they got a handful of guys that are intriguing prospects and other times it can be kind of it just depends on who they can get there but the two sunday ones are the two big ones i'm i'm expecting by the time we're at monticello bank on june 14th that there will be a uh a couple of new additions to the 2024 recruiting class. Got a big official visit sandwiched in between the two big official visit weekends. So we'll have plenty to discuss. Uh, we've got plenty to discuss today. Uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of our podcast, uh, where we're going to go through the Power 5 schedule and kind of our deep dives into each team, uh, we do need to briefly discuss what happened at SEC spring meetings because um, I, I just – 
The 8-9 talk, look it, I'm already tired of it. I want to talk more about Eli Drinkowitz being a freaking <laughs> loser. And I, I almost figured. curse right there. That guy, he's just such a loser. He uh, he kind of gets what he deserves on yeah. this. Like, he talks about how the media was being disingenuous or whatever, which may have been true. But also, you came with prepared stuff for the media. His little 13 colonies bit, like... He's he's he tries to use the media well, to his advantage, and then when it doesn't go his way, he cries. Oh, it's the media's fault, it's like, dude! You want to be doing what you're doing without the media, so shut it. He has cool dad energy where he tries to maybe like go like in a social circle when you're fourteen, fifteen, and you want nothing to do with your dad, really. And he tries to go in there and tell jokes and hang out with the boys. And it's just like, hey, give him, <laughs> give him some space. Like he tries very hard to be, I mean, this is the same guy who did the bounce back at, or clap back at Dan Mullen for Darth Vader, Vader and told Dan Mullen to, you know, sew his oats or whatever. <laughs> Brought a white well, lightsaber to a press conference. It's so like he does, he tries to, he did the thing where, remember when Pete Thamel did the, the C-list celebrities at SEC at Media Days? Oh, yeah. And then the next day he took a picture with, I think, Peter Burns and Chris Dorn. He was like, just hanging out with my favorite C-list celebrities. Like, he very much tries to go viral. I mean, that's really what he tries to do, but it just it's unnatural in how he does it. Uh, and he kind of just he kind of looked well, like a jackass this week. And, down there and in Destin. He went viral in November for basically talking about this generation, right? We are, the transfer portal. We don't learn how to go. Life doesn't have a transfer portal. You got to learn how to go through adversity. Yeah. And that was like a three-minute clip. So when one quote was tweeted everywhere and not the whole paragraph, he got all whiny. Well, you know what? The the Ross Dellinger one, the tweet right below it had the full paragraph. And even in context, like he's probably not wrong about his whole thing, but like. It still sounds bad in context because you're a six million dollar man. You just signed a big extension. Are you the problem? Yes. Like, of course, we place a higher value on college football than we should, but that's because we love this damn sport. It's a, it's a great distraction. So we're not you of all people. It doesn't matter what the context is. Should not be uh, judging the value on what we place on this sport uh, and comparing it to how we judge our, the, what we value medical professionals. I mean, at. It, it's really stupid. It, this is America. So if like. Someone wants to pay somebody to do a service or do a act or do a job. They will. They're they're worth what the market dictates yeah. their worth. And like if, if you're upset about that, I'm sorry. I just it was just I mean him his whole hey. it's really his act. I mean it's not just like this is one time, but it's just his act. I think he he, he just talks too much. He needs to just. Not talk enough. He doesn't talk. He talks too much. Stop talking. He was the only guy that also actually said one way or another whether he's eight or nine. Well, and that's nine. well. And no, that's easy for him to say. They don't. Yeah. They don't play Kansas every year. If they were playing Kansas every year, he wouldn't say that. Like he says that, and he tries to act all, um, act like a tough guy. Or Missouri yeah. tries to act like you know we're not scared of anybody. No, you all just want to play Oklahoma every year. So that's your night. Like you just don't. You don't have a. You know, you're just rotating Kansas State and Boston College and whoever you're losing to in the non-conference on and off. Like, it doesn't matter to you, but, like, for, like, South Carolina and Kentucky, you want to keep these rivalries alive. It matters, right. 
Yeah. So and, like, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to hear that because they're just going to rotate whoever for those three games, and they're not going to play Kansas. Yeah, you know, if they were playing Kansas every year and said that, I would have a lot more respect for that. But they're not playing their biggest oh, rival. He, he just dodged Kansas to, in a bowl game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. So I just I don't want to. I really I just don't want to hear that. Like, yeah, it's easy for them to say that. Why do they want that? Because they want to play Oklahoma every year because that's a rivalry game for them, a traditional rivalry. For them wanting to play nine, I just I okay, congratulations. But you don't like these other teams that don't want to play nine. They have a reason for that, and that reason just doesn't exist well, for Missouri. He also broke norm by. I mean, everybody else kind of maintained the status quo. We're going to keep it in house. He decided to be Johnny Big Shot and actually yeah, say, and made the colony joke. I mean, yeah, just like yeah, yeah, how long have you been working on that, man? Like yeah, it's, it was foolish. Uh, the actual news from it though, eight or nine. I guess it'll probably be a news dump tomorrow, Luckett, but it's going to be it's going to stay at eight for at right. least the first the 2024 season, maybe even the 2025, because Luckett, it doesn't matter initially um, as far as preserving rivalries. If they want to keep all of these secondary rivalries intact, they'll just make that a part of the first rotation with the other seven teams. Uh, exactly. So it's a temporary stopgap. South Carolina was listed as Kentucky's permanent rivalry. But that could change if they go to nine after two years. And essentially what they're doing here, Luckett, they're kicking the can down the road until ESPN is willing to pay them for that ninth game, yep. which could be worth $5 bucks a game uh, for each school. That's $5 million more. million. That's a lot of money. Um, and it also allows them to kind of see, like, all right, how much is the playoff committee? Are they going to punish us if we play a tougher schedule? Right? Like, are, how are they going to handle this all? So, buys him more time. It's the same thing Sinky did with COVID. Bought him more time. And even though he seems to be publicly pushing for nine, uh, th- th- that- that'll be something they'll address down the road, which is good for us because Governor's Cup still alive a little bit longer. Yeah, I think, number one, I think some teams weren't too happy with who their permanents were looking mm-hmm. at Alabama and Nick Saban to start off. I think they pr- – like Texas and Oklahoma have no say with this. They're just, they were just kind of sitting in there in the room, from yeah. what I heard. Uh, I think the playoff is a big factor in this. What is? What are they gonna? How are they gonna view that? Right? You know, well, it's a big difference between getting two teams in and four. Is a six and three, nine and three team, SEC team, which is probably a clear top twelve team. If you if they most times than not, that team, if you did any metrics, would be in the top ten. Would they put them in the playoff? I mean, that's that's the million dollar question, and so you have to see with that. And then, like, obviously the TV thing, like they're they're locked in this ESPN deal. I think they can relook at it in like twenty twenty six. So you would have to go two years maybe with the eight game twenty four twenty five. But maybe they can talk ESPN into giving more money. But ESPN's doing layoffs and stuff. They they've kind of overspent with some of these TV contracts. I think the NBA's got something coming up, so they got to save up money for that. And so they might be a little cash-strapped. And so just how does that work? So I think right now, right, 2024, next year, when Texas and Oklahoma, it's going to be an eight-team, one permanent. Kentucky's would be South Carolina. And then we would kind of have to see from there um, and see where everything shakes out. But I think eventually it will get to nine, but they have to kind of figure out what everything looks like. And then I think – Looking at that, how what the committee kind of weighs, I think, in that first 2024 selection process when the SEC has eight games, will give them some level 
or some data point to work off of, even though the committee can change what they value on a year-by-year basis like we see in the, the basketball selection process every year. I mean, it could vary, but I think the SEC wants to make sure that if they've got nine and three and ten and two, te- especially a ten and two team, make sure that team gets in the dance. Yeah. Because if that yeah. ten and two team can't get in the dance, like that's not, that's just not right. I mean, this is a like, bad decision long term. Yeah. 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 So, uh, they got more time to figure it out, but um, it, it gives Mark Stoops, Kentucky, maybe a little bit wider window here to to make some big yeah. time noise. And also, Nick, on the nine game, like it is the most low hanging fruit kind of take generator of an off season. Like everyone has a take on the nine game. Like oh, every, you know, what I'm saying it's such an easy like thing to write about, to talk about, and really, you know, like they could do the like if they wanted to take time and do the one eight, it wouldn't make any difference. Like if they just did one year, 2024, with an eight. All those rivalries you want to see, you would see. They yeah. could set it up, you know. They could set it up where Texas is going to play Oklahoma and A&M. They could set it up where Alabama is going to play Auburn and Tennessee. They could set it up where you know, Ole Miss is going to be able to play LSU and Mississippi State and on and on down the where Tennessee could play, I guess, Alabama and Vanderbilt, on and on down the list. Uh, or whoever, who keep all the big rivalries. So they got, like, they do have some wiggle room there. I just think, yeah. like, well, they're going to figure it out. They're probably going to play nine games. Everyone just kind of chill out. I just it, – it, it's the perfect take factory for right. this week, right? It's just uh, the, the last big meeting of all the big meetings. Um, so we've got a lot of takes out there. But while people were crunching and takes – good we distraction were, for realignment too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we were actually – Diving into some real deal Holyfield football, looking over Kentucky's opponents, how their spring practices went, and we'll be doing that. Five minutes each team. Stephen Peake, start the timer. Da-da-da-da. Vanderbilt. The Vanderbilt <laughs> Commodores are the first Power Five opponent of the year. It's the only kickoff time we did not get. Uh, we got the first three, which those are ideal, right? Noon, 3.30, 7.30, especially noon on Labor Day weekend. But I digress. Kentucky, I think this is going to be a trickier game than most expect because they have a bona fide talent, like a, a solid receiver core uh, led by Will Shepard, who, albeit did not practice, did not participate in spring practice, uh, I think, the entire time. And then uh, Swan struggled with some stuff, and I admittedly – uh, wrote this post like two weeks ago, so it's a little bit on the foggier side. Uh, but Prince Kali was a big transfer portal addition from Notre Dame, former five-star recruit. Uh, the defense should be better. So, like it, I I think all in all, just looking at Vanderbilt, if the the biggest question marks are they going to be able to run the football, and will the passing game be efficient enough to kind of get through that? Right, because. At Vanderbilt, you're never going to have this huge advantage in the trenches. So, like, can they convert difficult down and distances with this seemingly high-flying passing attack? And are they going to be able to protect A.J. Swan long enough? Because even though he played a ton of games last year, he did miss some time with injury. Yeah, it's looking like to replace Ray Davis, they're going to have a true freshman starting at running back. I think the most interesting point for me for Vanderbilt, if you just kind of look at their power ratings, SP Plus has them at 69 overall. Um, get your jokes in, but like you may say, oh Adam, that's not that high, but that's like it's like a legitimate kind of team that can compete for a bowl game. 
in most conferences. Uh, like 69th would be like middle of the pack in the ACC. Like they're right yeah, there with yeah. Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech. That's Those how are just bad two, the ACC is. Folks. They're above Arizona, Indiana, Rutgers, Boston College. So like they're no longer the Vanderbilt of 2020, 2021, where they were just downright awful. They're more Vanderbilt when Derek Mason had Keyshawn Vaughn and Kyle Shermer, where they were winning a couple games in the league and going to bowl games. That's kind of where like the computers, I think, kind of see Vanderbilt. So I think that's important to realize. Like This team is probably going to win a couple SEC games. Kentucky just doesn't want it to be against them. But they're going to get somebody. They get Auburn at home. Uh, I think they get Ole Miss. They go to Ole Miss. Uh, I'm trying to think who else they get at home. They go to Florida. They, get South, they go to South Carolina. So... They get Missouri at home. That could be another winnable game. Kentucky's going to be a game they have circled. Um, Especially early in the season, right? You, you, they got some right. confidence because they beat them a year ago. Yeah. The big, the big thing for me though, like it, like that, because I mentioned, like they, they, you feel like they've got some talent on offense. Yeah. But th- this is, uh, I, I'm getting some Mark Stoops vibes in that. Remember how bad that defense was, and you were just like early on, you were wondering like, when, when's this defense? Mark Stoops, a defensive guy. When's this defense going to look like it? I get the sense that this has to be the year that their defense turns a corner, that they start playing like a a real SEC defense that you expected when you hired Clark Lee, and they've been, it's been two years. Like um, you know, I mentioned Prince Kali that they added, uh, bringing a lot of experience back. So it feels like now has to be the the time when they turn the corner, and that could be – some playmaking on defense could be the difference in winning, you know, four versus two SEC games. Yeah, the yards per play defensive finishes under Lee have been 120 and 126, or 120 and 128. They've been really bad on defense. So that is really kind of the next step to them, playing – like getting out of the hundreds, getting into the 90s, the 80s, where you're playing – competitive football where the best offense is probably still giving it to you, but when you face middle-of-the-road offenses, you can slow them down and do enough to maybe win the football game. They got hit by the portal a little bit. Uh, yeah, today's yeah. Richard, I believe one that they're going to be a starting cornerback for them, left yep. for Miami, mm-hmm. so that That's stung. Obviously, the Ray Davis news going to Kentucky, so those are two big losses. Which they're always going to get hit hard in the portal. Like, yeah, just... but they are going to be a competitive team this year. They're not going to be a 2-10 and yeah. Team that just gets their teeth their t- teeth kicked in every week, and I think for Kentucky, I like how this game sets up though, Nick. The time because, first first SEC game, they're not going to come out of sleep. Well, Kentucky gets three tune ups, right? They're not going to come out, and you're going to get good tape on Vanderbilt. Week three or week mm-hmm. two, they go they go to Van or they go to Wake Forest, so you're going to find out a lot there. Then the week before they play Kentucky, Nick, they go all the way to UNLV. They go all the way to Las Vegas and play on a Saturday. Then they have to travel all the way back and then host a home game. That's, that's tough travel. You go at Wake Forest, at UNLV, and then home against Kentucky. That's a tough travel schedule for Vanderbilt that early in the season, and I think Kentucky's probably going to be entering in a good spot. It's going to be a great spot. Next up, another team they might be getting a good spot, the Florida Gators. Gosh, I love these graphics we got here. Make sure you're watching on KSR YouTube channel. Uh Florida, we kind of made fun of them for their offense uh, back in the day. Uh, and when I say back in the day, after their spring game. And you know what? We, we still can. Um, because what I found interesting following our friends at Gators Online on the ON3 network, uh, there's just a lot, a lot of talk about 
their future quarterbacks and not necessarily the ones on the roster now because they've got uh, DJ Lagway, D- five-star commit, and then even behind him, Austin Simmons in 2025 committed. Uh, and this year it's Graham Mertz. It's the Graham Mertz show, and whew, he doesn't have a whole lot around him either. Florida gave us our most entertaining portion of spring games. There was a meltdown online during Florida's <laughs> spring game. Lane Kiffin was trolling them. Their fans yeah. were going nuts. I mean, you mentioned the Gators online. The message board was popping. Uh, peak message board perfect kind of form. Great perk to be in a KSR Plus member. You can just go read all the other fans get fired up. And it was kind of crazy. It caught so much fire because the game was behind a paywall. It was on ESPN Plus, but it was like a Thursday night. There was nothing else really on TV, and it just people were just ragging on them. And that, that that's the thing with Florida this year. It's just the offensive line could low key be a mess. They are like Kentucky in a lot of ways last year without the NFL draft pick at quarterback. Like they, their best receivers are going to be freshmen, and it's just like how good are the freshmen? They've got some good running backs, but can they block? What does Graham Mertz kind of give them? And the key to Florida when you kind of dig into him is this new defensive coordinator Austin Armstrong, who's coming in was at Southern Miss last year. His defense put up some good numbers at Southern. This kid's like twenty nine years old. Um, and so he's really young, but he was going to be Alabama's linebackers coach. Billy Napier went ahead and took a swing on him after he's, his D.C. left. And they're switching their scheme. I mean, they're going to play a lot like Missouri did last year or like Louisville did last year where they're going to get a lot of odd fronts. They're going to twist. They're going to stunt. They're going to bl- be a blitz-heavy defense that plays man coverage on the outside. And so it's very feast or famine. It's going to give a lot. He's going to give some teams a lot of problems, but then there's going to be some games where they – get a, some big crooked numbers hung on them. But really the key to the season, I think, is him because the offense is going to struggle. The offense is going to take a step back this year, and it's all about Armstrong. Can he put together a top 25 defense? If, if he does that, they're going to be in uh, be in some games. And if they and Napier has a stellar 50-50 uh, one-possession track record. If that happens, he could manage some games, and they could maybe have be a surprise. But if that doesn't happen, they could be in for a long season because they probably play the toughest schedule in college football. Yeah, so yeah, they're in a like it, it's in a tough spot this year, I think, for Florida because they know they probably need to wait and be patient. But that's not necessarily the most patient fan base. Things could get things could unravel quickly. They go to Utah, they play Tennessee, I believe, in week three. Yeah, and then so, go to Kentucky week five. Like they uh, could be in must-win territory, or their fans are falling apart by the time Florida gets to Kroger Field. Yeah, um, absolutely. So just how does that shake out, and how do they? how they kind of respond to that, and what is Mertz outside of that Wisconsin system? Like, Mertz, when, like, with him and Leary, like, I didn't, like, when Kentucky was recruiting both when we found out both, I didn't, like, I didn't think the drop-off was all that great with Mertz, and I liked how Mertz had two, he's got two years of eligibility, so there was that, and he'd just been in an awful, 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 awful system. So if you get him some talent, he can maybe do something, but the problem with Florida is they just don't, like, they're receiving talent, it's just young. Yeah. Do they have a Barry and Brown Dan Key that can play right away as refresh them? But even if they do, we've saw the ups and downs you can have with that. There's a reason if you go back and look at, like, there's rarely ever do you see a true freshman SEC receiver go and get 900, 1,000 yards, Nick. It's just hard. Yeah. Now, you really see those jumps in year two, but it's just hard to produce right away as a well, true freshman. Especially on a consistent level, right? Like, there's just yeah. ebbs and flows. Flows, right. Um, so, like, finding the, – the I think the biggest thing with Florida is just – their 
inability to find consistency with Anthony Richardson, right? Like they they were an inconsistent football team with the number four, what, three or four pick in the NFL draft last year. So what's right. that going to be like this year with Graham Mertz and even less to work around him? So um, that could be – there's something about the Florida Gators that like just the years of just getting our asses kicked by them and Steve Spurrier – like, this could be fun to just go and dance on their graves. And this could be, what, three straight and four out of the last six? Four out I of mean, five. Uh, yeah. F- well, uh, three out of four. Let me th- uh, let me think. No, it'd be three straight. Yeah, three straight, okay. Three yeah. straight and then. Four out of six, yeah, you're right. Four you're out right, of six, right. yeah. I mean, folks, get your tickets. Get your tickets while you can. Um, because the game after that, it's going to get a little bit more difficult when the Cats Head on down to Georgia. The Georgia Bulldogs, two-time defending national champions. Adam Luckett, you'll never believe this, but their defense is still really, really, really good. Um, And it's also very funny because I reached out to Wes Blankenship, who is a fun Twitter follow um, and is also good at covering the dogs. Talking to him about Georgia's problems is so funny because, like, it's just, like, come on. It's, it's, it's like white people problems or what are they, middle class fan, whatever you want to call it. It's 1% problems. Like, you, they, <laughs> you're, oh, you lost Jalen Carter to the NFL draft? Well, don't worry. They got another guy that's going to be just as good back there. Yeah, um, my, my landscaper was sick on Tuesday. won't be here till Wednesday. Oh, my, my stuff's <laughs> going to look like crap today. Yeah. Um, on three ranked like all of the positional units in the country, and they were like top three in every defensive one. Uh, yeah. Michael Williams led Georgia in sacks as a true freshman last year, former five-star. Mm-hmm. Like, dude's a badass. Um, the the J- Jamin DeMoss Johnson, he's probably mm-hmm. going to be an All-American and middle linebacker. Like, their defense is freaking stacked. Now, the questions, though, are this offense because you lost – you're basically the only guy that's been good at calling plays at Georgia in the last 20 years. And you're bringing back a guy that pissed off a lot of people back there um, with, uh, and now his name is Mike Bobo, coming back to replace Todd Munkin, who went to the, the Baltimore Ravens. So that's a big question mark. Um, they feel confident that Bobo has done enough, you know, and but he's got a new signal caller too. Like they, they found some magic with Munkin and Stetson Bennett, two seemingly unlikely people to, to make it happen. But now Mike Bobo comes in. Carson Beck seemingly has won that job. Uh, but if Beck doesn't work out, they were able to convince Brock Vandegrift to stick around. Uh, all while they seem to have enough stuff at running back, but it's not Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle back there, right? Like uh, Kenny McIntosh is back. He did not participate in spring practice. Uh, Branson Robinson and Kendall, or no, sorry, Kenny McIntosh, not back. Kendall Milton's back. Mm-hmm. But Milton yeah. and Branson Robinson, those are like their two. They've got a slash guy in Kendall Milton, and they've got this big physical guy, Branson Robinson. Both were out for spring practice. So there's a lot of unknown at on the Georgia offense right now, and I think that's it's, it's giving them a little bit of anxiety going into the season, albeit against a schedule that isn't, Loaded with a you know a marquee non-conference game like Clemson at the at the front end of the schedule. Yeah, a few things here. I was filling out my first run through through preseason All SEC teams, and I had Michael Williams, Jamin Dumas Johnson, both safeties, Javon Bullard, yeah, and Malachi Starks, I believe. All all 
all on my first team. They're awesome. And then there was, yeah. there's a couple more that were right there competing for first team honors for me. They got so a deep just, tackle the, they really like coming in for Carter. I mean, yeah, they're going to be great. So that just start that just starts you off there. They're in a great spot there. Offensively, you know, they they have some questions like is Carson Beck how good is he? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the reviews out of camp and what we've seen in games and what he put in the spring game, he looks pretty good. Yeah, and yeah. So, it could be uh, better than Bennett, but yeah. the other thing too, like it, they're wide receivers. I mean, yeah, they they weren't nothing to laugh at either. Now they did get Dominic Lovett. That was a huge get from Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, huge. Suck at Eli Drinkwitz. But yeah, that was, he was, what, 100 yards a game last year? Yeah. I don't care who's at quarterback because I'm looking at this like they got four running backs. All those guys could play for most teams. Mm-hmm. Their offensive line is just full of ass kickers. Like, it's probably got four or five draft picks there. They're just going to mow over people. And then they've got weapons. Brock Bowers is the biggest passing game weapon probably in college football outside mm-hmm. of Marvin Harrison Jr. And then you got Lad McConkey, Dominic Lovett, Ra Ra Thomas. Um, Arian Smith and whatever uh, Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint and whatever other blue chip receivers they got in that room. I mean, they just got guys. Like they're just probably just gonna figure it out. Schedule's not super tough. How is Brock Bowers still in college? That just pisses me off. Like, dude, just go pro. You're too good for college. Just go. Yeah, and the only question, like, what is Bobo? We haven't. Last time we saw Mike Bobo, he was calling plays at Auburn. It didn't go great. Nope. Before before that, he was calling plays at South Carolina. They had some, you know, he. I think Bobo's really good at scheming up the run game. Yeah, Kevin Harris had his huge year under Bobo at South yeah, Carolina yeah. in 2020. Uh, Tank Bixby had a good year under him. So they're probably, they're going to be able to run that, you know, run the damn ball, Bobo, and all that. It's just probably what's the passing game look like, but there's enough weapons where they're just going to figure it out and they're going to be playing in the SEC championship game. I, there's not much drama surrounding them. It would be pretty big surprise if they weren't 12-0 and or 11-1 and at, at worst uh, when we – wake up on Thanksgiving Sunday. Now you can't say the same thing about our next team, our favorite, Eli Drinkwitz's Missouri Tigers. Uh, they didn't lose Luther Burden to the transfer portal, so that's got to be a big win for Missouri, right? Yeah, I, I look at Missouri, uh, Nick, here, and the big thing is he's making a shift change on offense. Calling plays has not gone well for Trinkowitz, so he's he's letting go. And he last year he let Bush Hampton Hamden call the plays in the season, and then he handed the reins to Kellen Moore, little brother Kirby Moore, who was at Fresno State. The best thing about Kirby Moore is just kind of the pedigree and the coaching tree he's been around. Like obviously his brother, his dad was a big time high school coach in California, but he was on a staff with Kalen DeBoer, who's the head coach at Washington now, who's done. Great things at Indiana, Fresno State, and Washington. Ryan Grubb, who's Kalen DeBoer's offensive coordinator, Kirby Moore worked for him. Grubb out, Nick Saban wanted to hire him, and then who he looked like he was going to hire, and then I think Washington came up with a raise, and he decided to stay with DeBoer. And so, and then Jeff Tefford, who's done great things back to his days, head coach at Cal with Aaron Rodgers, uh, Marshawn or Marshawn Lynch, and then done some good things at Fresno State. So the pedigree you like, but this kid's this guy's young. Early 30s, only one season as an offensive coordinator at Fresno State calling plays. And he had an NFL quarterback. Jake Hayner went in, the, I believe, the fourth round, That's third round. Game. Now, he, Hayner missed some games, and the offense didn't totally sink. But you just have to wonder, what, what, how does that translate? And that's when you get to the big concern with Missouri. Is for the second year in a row, they didn't really get a portal quarterback. 
And so they're rolling with Brady Cook, who could not play in the spring. Now, it came out after the season, Cook hurt his shoulder in like week two. So he played through a, sh- a labrum injury all year, last year, um, and did some good things. Not, you know, I don't think he, he's, you don't look at him and say, oh, he's good, like an NFL guy, but he's not, I don't think he's terrible. He's middle of the road guy, kind of quarterback. So what can you do with a guy like that is the big question. I think they're really high on Blake Baker in this defense. You look at their defense, mm-hmm. like Ennis Rakestraw and Chris Abrams drain might be, I mean, it's up there for one of the best corner combos in college football. Uh, they are really good. That's Like we talked about with Florida earlier, they're going to play man, they're going to twist, they're going to stunt, and they're going to blitz. Um, and they've got some, like I think, legitimate star power on defense. So the defense on paper should be pretty good this year. It's all what the offense can do. They rebuilt the offensive line a little bit with some transfers. They've got to find a way. How can they unleash Luther Burton, and how can they get a running game going? The running game last year stunk. Yeah. And so what do they have in the backfield? We'll see. They missed on Deme Sumo Kongbe. They were in that. That hunt for him, he ends up at Kentucky. And so the offense is just the huge question there for Missouri. I mean, that's the big question surrounding Drinkowitz. And just getting their main guy the damn ball, right? Like, uh, that's one thing about Liam Cohen. When he had Wondell Robinson, he got him the football. And I I don't remember what game it was last year, but it was almost like Tom Hart was on Luther Burden watch because it was just like, yeah, and he's got one touch through 20 minutes of football. Yeah, but they would – but in the Kentucky game, they would give him the ball, but it was in, like, dumb ways. It was like, let's throw a bubble out to him. You know, let's not block J.J. Weaver or, yeah, so, yeah. or something like Like, it was like, you got to give him, like, you got to find a way to give him the ball in space because yeah. that's where he's going to make an impact. But like we talked about with your freshman, it's just hard for these guys to, like, come in and make a big impact right away. Now he's got a year of college football, and they would run, like, Luther Worden and Wildcat, and it was just like, this is not working. Um, but now he's got now he's settled in and he is the guy for them. They added Theo Weiss, a transfer from Oklahoma, will kind of be kind of the number two, I think, two burden. But he is the guy for offense. Like if Missouri reaches expectations, it's going to be a lot on him. And then you look at their schedule; they get Kansas State at home in week two, I believe. That's a huge game, or week th- week two or week three. They got to win that game. After that, they get Memphis and St. Louis. That should be a game they could win. If they beat that Kansas State game, they're all of a sudden four and zero, and I think LSU. Rolls into uh, Farrell Field early in the year. So they got a huge home game. And then the Kentucky game stands out. That's a huge one for them as well. Um, But if things get sideways, it could get ugly for Drinkowitz. And then he could find himself in the hot seat there late in the season. Like, if you're you're looking for one coach to maybe 100% be on the hot seat in November, I would point to Drinkowitz as maybe the top candidate because things are just a little hairy there. He's got a new AD. But that new AD just gave him a weird contract extension last year. So you feel you feel like they like him. They're, they're, games after. They like him. They want him to win. But can he can he get that can he get it, the thing turned around? Um, you know, doing what he did at SEC meetings probably not the best thing you want to do before draw kind of like that kind of attention before a huge season. But we'll see how it shakes out. Following a home game with Missouri, the Tennessee Volunteers are coming to Lexington and the hype train, it's already off the tracks because um, I saw an article the other day, how Joe Milton can become win the Heisman Trophy and become the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. It was a clip of him throwing the ball from the 20 to the end, you know, the opposite end zone. Yeah. And that to me, look, it is like, 
we've, we've seen Joe Milton throw the football field a mile. He threw it a mile into the stands uh, at the end of that Ole Miss game once upon a time. Uh, we know that Joe Milton's got a cannon. I think the part that has people excited that Josh Pate talked about last week was just in that bowl game against Clemson, he completed 70% of his passes. Um, was able to get two, 250 yards, three touchdowns. And I believe most of those receivers that like, – I think Tillman and Hyatt both opted out of that bowl game, if yeah, I'm not mistaken, yeah. too. Yeah, he so, was throwing to like Squirrel White and Brew McCoy, and they'll yeah, both be back next year. Which, Brew McCoy, it feels like the top candidate to replace – uh, those guys, but he was out for the spring. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a wait and see. And for me, like, it just – all of this it, – it, the question that we've been looking for will be answered this year. Is it Josh Heupel's system or is it the players? Right? Because two – you know, Hendon Hooker was pretty solid at Virginia Tech. He was very accurate, and he had NFL receivers to throw to. He had the Blitnikoff winner. And I know some of that was system-based, but he had great deep weapons. Now you've got Joe Milton. It's, it's a complete new cast of characters. So I, I think a lot of what this boils down to is how, how much of it is just the gimmick of the system versus how much of it was it on the players. Because we're going to find out this year. And if Milton isn't, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on this guy to perform well. And if he doesn't, that quarterback controversy is going to get fired up in no time for the volleyball player, Nico Iamaliva, the $8 million man to come in and play right away. For me, it all comes down to completion percentage. I know why you're like, Adam, completion percentage, that's kind of a... 1990s why, why way to look at things. But why yeah. completion percentage? But Tennessee is... Ta- they're not shooting layups. I mean, they are... Yeah, yeah. They're shooting threes, <laughs> you know, and that, there's going to be some variance with that. And what we've seen from Heupel's offense or Baylor's offense, Art Browse offense in the past is a lot of these quarterbacks have completion percentages in the 57, 58 range. And so when you have that, it's just a lot more, like you're just not hitting on as many vertical shots and you're facing a lot more third and longs. Well, with Hinton Hooker, they, he was at 68, 69%. Mm-hmm. So there, he was just hitting on a, like a high rate of big plays. And that just makes it really hard to stop him. For Milton, we'll see. He, he, they saw a dip with him in there. It, from 68 to, or 69, it went down to 61 with him in the game. Now he still hit on some big plays. So that yards per attempt number was still way up there. But before the year before he was at 51%. Um, and so for him, like where, like I think Tennessee, they're just gonna have a draw. I don't think you can run that scheme any better than what they ran it with with Hendon Hooker. Yeah, like, I and think Cedric Tillman go- and Jalen Hyatt. Like- it's going to come down. It's just how far does it come down? Mm-hmm. And that's my, you know, big question. And do teams in the league get better at kind of feeling out like these deep choice selection, like what they're gonna do, what they're gonna, how they're gonna kind of run what? in certain situations. Uh, and so that's that's my big question. Uh, I don't see how it doesn't come down. The real question for Tennessee, though, is, yeah. you know, they're going to score points regardless. Right. Uh, it's gonna how, how high a ceiling can the defense get? And see, what does the defense look like? And last year, they the pass defense was bad for them. It just didn't matter because Hooker was just – they were just scoring 50 points a game. So it really did, just didn't matter. And I, I, tried, I tried really hard to find any sort of – opinion one way or another on what folks thought about how their secondary performed and I got nothing like they, yeah. they, they just they just don't know now they do at least up front I know they lost their their edge guy he was a third round pick but mm-hmm. they, they were good at stopping the run last year they're bringing Beasley yeah. back they've got a ton of depth of linebacker Beasley they were just like don't even 
risk getting hurt in the spring. So they did get better. They, they sort of – it wasn't the – it's kind of that Missouri Louisville thing where it's like, all right, you, you will not run the ball against us. We're going to get after your ass, but you, you're going to hit some big plays on us. And Kentucky did not hit any of those against them last year because Rich Gangarello decided to run right into the teeth of that defense. So um, will the pass defense be better? How, how many big plays can Joe Milton hit on? I don't know. I really just want to see a contra- quarterback controversy to look at because that was their first 11. That was the first time they won 11 games since 2001. I think they'd only had one. 2007 was their last 10-win season. So now they, they just expect this to be the norm when it hasn't been for a very long time. I'm fascinated by how expectations are going to be handled on Rocky Top. Meanwhile, down in Starkville, Mississippi State going through a transition period an unfortunate one with the untimely loss of Mike Leach. Um, got a new sheriff in town. They promoted defensive coordinator Zach Arnett, who got out of the air raid to hire a new guy from App State. We, we got a lot of App State guys in the mm-hmm. SEC on Kentucky's schedule this year. Um, and look, I'm just fascinated how Will Rogers is going to operate in a new offensive system where it felt like the air raid was kind of his bread and butter. Kevin Barbe is the new offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. He spent time as kind of in an off-field role at Florida under Jim McElwain, so he's got some SEC experience. McElwain promoted him to quarter, or offensive coordinator at Central Michigan in 2021. He parlayed that into the offensive coordinator job at App State in 2022, and just full stop, both of those offenses were good. Uh, but I think it's important to, like, talk about what offense he's bringing and what we've seen from that offense before. It is a pistol, stretch zone, play-action pass, deep shot offense. It is the offense Billy Napier's running at Florida. It is the offense Scott Satterfield ran at Louisville. Hmm. And we've seen these offenses, both of these, have a good success at the group of five level. And just, I'm not saying they're bad offenses, but they're not like, they don't keep you up at night when we've seen these move to this next level. This is all about can you stop the run and then can you not give up chunk plays on the um you know on the play action pass deep shots. I think for Arnett he's looking for a more explosive play offense. He doesn't want to do the dink and dunk ball control thing anymore. He wants to win the explosive play battle. Um, that's what they're gonna go for here, but Will Rogers is you know, you just kinda we don't know if he can push it down the field. People, we've seen at small doses he can, mm-hmm. but can he continually push the ball down the field? You look at their best receivers this year, probably going to be Tulu Griffin and Xavier Thomas, and they're both kind of slot types. So how does that kind of work in this offense? I, I just don't know. And I, I think a big thing they're losing here, though, is Arnett's not calling the defensive plays. I thought he was one of the best in the country. You lose that, that's a big loss. They're, they promoted Matt Brock, who really doesn't have any ties to the three three five Rocky Long system other than working for Arnett. He worked for Arnett for two years. I mean, he came over from Washington State with Leach, and he was like a special teams coordinator. Um, so he worked at Washington State with Leach, came over, and now, now he's got a defense coordinator job in the SEC. So they got two new coordinators, just full stop, no SEC experience. So that that is a worry in the SEC West, like that concerns me, but they have eight home games. And their non-conference Power 5 team is Arizona at home. Like That's a game they should win. So they should have four wins in the non-con. And it's just, can you get to two or three wins and you're going bowling, which would be a good season, I think, for Arnett. 
but that is a concern. Just their first-time head coach. We've seen defensive coaches, especially in this league, get off to very slow starts. Even Kirby Smart yeah. had a disappointing first season in Georgia. So we've seen that. That's been proven over the last decade or so that that's just what happens with these first-time defensive coaches in this league. And then you got brand new coordinators on both sides. Like it's just, you know, and, and then a, a total scheme change. Now with that said, like Woody Marks, that running back, I wouldn't be surprised if he pushes for having all SEC type season because they are going to give him the rock and let him run the football. Um, and he's a good player. And now yeah. that he's going to be playing traditional running back, he could have he turned into one of their better players. But I. You could see things getting rocky, I think, for Mississippi State just because of so rocky much Long. change. Yeah, Rocky Rocky is in Rocky Long. That's just a lot of change they're going through. Yeah. I, I'm just – this is one of those times where I wish when they reshifted the schedule this was earlier on in the season because I think it's going to – they're going to take a lot of growing pains, a lot of lumps. Uh, or, I mean, you just don't know how it's going to – it could just – they could be out of gas at that point. Like, that's when they could yeah. start nosediving. You just don't – that's the thing about football. You just don't know how when the schedule is going to hit for you, how it's going to hit. Well, and I think the other part of this too, Luckett, with the transition, how much of how much of what Zach Arnett does is like trying to just completely get away from what made them successful under Leach. Like you know, like this is mine. I'm going to put my own personal stamp on it. Like college football coaches got egos, you know. So it's it's just a fascinating dynamic. And, I, you know, how long before he starts taking over defensive coordinator play calling duties? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's going to be wild to watch what happens in Starkville this fall. Um, and hopefully there, Kentucky can finally get that, S, that, that coveted SEC road win. Mark Stoops never won, beat an SEC West team on the road. Maybe this year's the year. Maybe this year's the year that Kentucky wants Bama? Huh? We want Bama. It's often a joke, but Alabama feels like there's a, a little a little shine's been rubbed off the Crimson Tide. Uh, Mike Griffith said the other day on Paul Feinbaum that the Crimson Tide could challenge LSU in the SEC West. Uh, that was a, a fun take there. But they've got some quarterback controversy. Uh, did There was some rumblings they might even bring in somebody late from the portal because they didn't like what, what they had there. Um, so... And then you had defense coordinator turnover with Pete Golding leaving under his own volition to go to Ole Miss. So maybe maybe this is the time to get old Alabama. But look at every time I feel like you think that Alabama is on its way down, Saban strikes back. Yeah, I think it's important to note here that they might have the best roster in college football again. <laughs> Sands quarterback. So, like, that's important to throw out. They went and got the number one JUCO receiver, and by early reports, he was awesome in spring camp. I believe Will Benson is his name, maybe. Um, and so he's going to play a play a role. Um, this freshman class, early indications, has got a real chance to be special. Like Justice Haynes might be the starting tailback in week two when Texas comes to town. Everyone says Caleb Downs is the biggest badass of badasses mm, that they've yeah, kind of seen good. around there. And that's saying, you know, they, I mean, he's got some badass talk around him that's just not – you know, at Alabama of all places, it's like, whoa. And so they just got, you know, Dallas Turner can be the number one edge rusher in this draft class if it turns if he turns it on. So they just got, you know, like, <laughs> they've got dudes over there. And so what does it all come together? I mean, for me, it's when you look at them, it's all about quarterback. Like, what, what the hell are they doing at quarterback? It looks like they don't know what they're doing. And then Tommy Reese – 
has experience at Notre Dame, but this dude is young, Nick. Mm-hmm. Like he's 32, 33 years old. He's our old. age. I, I remember not liking him because I, I dated a girl in college that yeah. went to high school with him. You know, like. <laughs> I remember, yeah. I yeah. remember wa- watching him in my college house. When Very I, underwhelming. When too, the, he's a college the, quarterback. The total of beers might have reached 15, and it wasn't night out. That's how long ago I remember Tommy Reese. Um, <laughs> and so, like. What, what does he look like in this, you know? You look at Tommy Reese's offensive numbers, they weren't great. They were fine. They were good. He never had, like, the skill talent that he's going to have now, but, like, that is the big question, I think, with them. And then schedule. Like, that Week 2 game against Texas, quietly Sark is, you know, Sark is Sark, you know, in that game, he'll probably find a way, he might find a way to mess it up if it comes down to him and Saban, but, like, Texas' roster is stacked. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. If yours is good, like that offense is going to be hard to stop because they have got weapons at receiver now. With AD Mitchell just transferred from Georgia, they've got um, the Isaiah Nair from Wyoming, who everybody loved coming out of the portal last year, and then Xavier Worthy is a total stud. And so they've just got weapons now, uh, and their line is built up, and so they could be ready to knock Bama off if, if Bama's having QB issues. Could be tough, but last time we really saw Alabama like this with a huge QB problem, they ended up winning the national title. It was with Jacob Coker. They lost to Ole Miss early in the year, and then they just they just got locked in, and they ended up beating Clemson in the national champ, beating Deshaun Watson in the national championship game in 2016 or 2015, excuse me. And so, like we've seen them do it before, they could do it again, but there is definitely it feels like they're for real chasing Georgia now, uh, no doubt. And that that is different because they've never been in chase mode in their own conference. Yeah, and, and so the the other part too is like even the Mac Jones year, there were some questions about him, but you at least had enough faith in the play caller and the pieces around him to make it happen. But now there's uncertainty. Like, I, I, hell, I forgot that they brought in the Notre Dame transfer at quarterback. I was Tyler thinking Buckner. more about, about the uh, the rumors of the the Tyler Van Dyke potentially moving on, but. That the offensive uncertainty is certainly there, although I have a feeling that I have a feeling Nick Saban's going to have it figured out by the time they come to Kroger Field, and uh, I think that's November, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I still think the safe bet it's Bama Georgia SC title game. Oh, never seen that before. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be so strange to see that. Um, yeah, so we want Bama, but we we don't. Uh, not yeah. really, but it's hey. just all how it hits. I think this freshman class has really got a chance to be special early indications. If they can just keep them together and string it along, but that might mean, you know, what eleven and one, eleven, you know, eleven and two after you lose to Georgia and SC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Championship, and then it's just like, you know, Saban's getting up there in age. How does he feel about the coordinators? The real concern now, we can move on, is just, in the past, he's just had, he's replaced the coordinators, and it's just been big hits. Yeah. Are yeah. Kevin Steele and Tommy Reese big hits? It doesn't. They seem like very safe hires. Yeah. But yeah. not big hits. Mm-hmm. 
trying to maintain that status quo. And we're they're definitely trying to do that with Shane Beamer down at South Carolina, where Beamer ended the season with a bang. Uh, after upsetting Kentucky on the road earlier on the year, he ends with a huge win against Tennessee. He snaps the longest losing streak in the rivalry to Clemson. Um, and despite failing to get a win against Notre Dame, like that was big-time game. And then they get Spencer Rattler by. So you think, oh, everything is all rainbows and sunshines. Well, uh, Beamer, in between podcast interviews, he's spouting off at media members for criticizing the Dow Loggins hire. Um, and in addition, I mean, they got Rattler back, but that kind of saved him because all of the rest of their big weapons went elsewhere. Uh, the running back that went off against UK, Marshawn Lloyd, is at the other USC. He's at USC senior now. Jaheim Bell transferred to Florida State, the talented tight end, who was supposed to be, you know, this big weapon that did everything for him, and he really didn't under Mark Satterfield. He's fortunate to get rid of Satterfield, but inherits Dow Loggins, which you just don't know. Like, he was a mediocre guy in the NFL who was on the Adam Gase train, which that ex- not, isn't exactly the offense that's the blueprint for success in the NFL nowadays. Then he recently served as a tight end coach at Arkansas. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. And if you look at Spencer Rattler, have you have you just gone through his game log at South Carolina? Yeah. Like it? It's a ride. Yeah, it's, it, it's not very good. It's not very good. Um, and then in addition to that, there's a ton of questions at running back. They couldn't. They were very inefficient running the football last year. Um, to carry on, Joiner might have to be their primary ball handler, and he played quarterback for him some. Um, he started his career as a receiver. Uh, they missed on Demi Sumo Karmbe. They also tried to get in in a. That's not a snake coming out of the ceiling. That's the ceiling <laughs> fan. Uh, be a lot cooler if it was. Uh, it'd be a lot cooler. I'm terrified <laughs> of snakes though. Uh, but they, they missed on their Notre Dame transfer running back. They had a lot of transfer running back targets that they just missed on. And part of it's because their offensive line's so bad. Uh, they're replacing their left tackle and a couple others. And then the guy that was supposed to shift from guard to tackle got hurt. And he could be, they're, they're, they're sounding optimistic like it, but he could be out for the whole year. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of questions on that offense. You're putting a lot of pressure on Spencer Rattler, who – doesn't really perform well when he's asked to do a lot under pressure. Yeah. I think it's important to just kind of go through everything that happened with South Carolina this offseason. Like, they lost some real good players to the portal. Gilbert Edmond, defensive end, transferred to Florida State. Jordan Birch, defensive lineman, transfers to Oregon. Uh, you know, they get Rattler and Juice Wells back, and Juice Wells is going to be a first-team All-SEC guy, but they lose Marshawn Lloyd to USC, and they lose multiple – not only starters on the offensive line, like you're talking like four-year guys when you're talking about their – um, their center, I believe, Eric Nichols was his name, or yeah, Eric Douglas, yeah. and then um, and Nichols then uh, hurt. yeah, Jovan Gwynn was a longtime starter at guard. So they're losing all those guys. And one thing I thought they did well on offense was they they had a legit running attack with Marshawn Lloyd. He provided some big plays and he had some big moments. That's like losing him was a big deal. They only have four scholarship backs. To me, they're talking about, like, Joyner, but the big is Dontavious Braswell, four-star recruit they landed out of Georgia. They need him to be good right away. Like, that's really – and if he's not, then they could be in trouble. And then they become a lot really one-dimensional with a brand-new offensive coordinator, and we've seen the roller coaster that Rattler can be mm-hmm. at times. And then defensively, they took a little bit of a step back last year, and they lost some – like star players, and then like Zach Pickens was a third round pick of the Bears, I believe, on the defensive line. So they've lost some guys here. And then at cornerback, they lost Darius Rush, 
um, and Cam Smith were both draft picks. And so you, you just lost some guys here, and it's just what they can what can they replace? You know, special teams won them probably. Two, I mean, might have won them two games last yeah. year. Yeah. So they stole that. Now, how can you replicate that every year? Can you get you know they had two wins probably over replacement from special teams when every other team is probably like point one, point two. You know, so like can they can they can they get that big of an advantage over the rest of the playing field? You know, I I don't know if you can. And so that's a huge question. And then and they then open the, sp- the season with North Carolina, the Drake right. Naver, Spencer Rattler Bowl in Charlotte. If you lose that game, that's it's a six and six season is on the table. Yeah, well Maybe even just worse. Point out point out this. Ten power five games. And in the non con they get North Carolina who might who might be a legit top twenty five team, third best team in the ACC, and Clemson, who might be the best team in the ACC, a top ten, top five ish team. So that's a tough. That's a tough schedule. Their West draw isn't terrible this year. No, but no. you still got to go to Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it, the schedule is going to be more. It's, it's going to be difficult. And what, what can they? You know, what is like? You know, six and six could seven and five. Seven and five could be a good year. But how does that feel at the end of the season if you're seven and five? Yeah, and how 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 does that program feel when Kentucky travels down there in the penultimate week of the season? You know. It, I don't think it'll be as hairy as it was in Lexington a few years ago, um, but that could certainly be the case. We finish with the season finale, the Battle of the Governor's Cup. Louisville, they've got some juice this offseason. Jeff Brom is back. They got a little bit of swagger. They got a very easy schedule. And as I said, said earlier, you know, with South Carolina at the end of the year, this could be a sort of Super Bowl type. You win this game. I don't know what the big ACC kind of second, but like for Kentucky, it's like winning go to the Outback Bowl kind of feel. That could be the case with Louisville uh, under first-year coach Jeff Rom, where everything feels huge. They've been transfer portal superstars this offseason. On three has them with the highest-ranked transfer portal class. they got a ton of quarterbacks, including uh, two from Purdue and Jack Plummer, who's a presumed starter, spent a year at Cal, um, and then also the young guy, Brady Allen, transferring mm-hmm. in. Um, and then they, they got a kid from uh, the Georgia Southern one, I think, is going to end up being the best one. But they also got one from uh, Jackson State that uh, was a high-caliber high recruit. So um, a lot of portal players, a lot of turnover. And look, at what I can expect from Jeff Brom teams from watching him and hammering Purdue over the years is they're going to win a game or two that they're yeah. not supposed to, and they're going to lose a game or two that they're not supposed to. That's kind of how it works. I got I got something that might blow your brain. Okay. Jeff Brom is the closest thing in college football we have to Mike Leach. Yeah. Yeah. These are his past play percentage rankings while at Purdue. Oh. Number twenty two. Number six. Number three. Number two. Number six. Number twelve. But with all of that said, Nick, they never ranked inside the top fifty, I believe. In yards per play, and I think they have one top fifty finish in points per drive. So, like we talk about, people talk about Brom as you know, as like this kind of offensive savant, you know, flea flickers, scoring all these points. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, but this is not what the numbers say. Like now, now what is it taking this offense out of the Big Ten? How does it look? In 
the ACC? That's, to me, the huge question. You know, how does it look maybe with a wide receiver talent upgrade? But then again, I say that, and he had pros at Purdue. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Rondell Rondell Moore, Moore, David Bell, Charlie Jones. That team last year, Nick, had three draft picks on offense, and they finished 82nd in points per drive and and 89th in yards per play. I mean, they were 75th in just points per game. That's I mean, that's just like your most basic stat, but yeah. So I – I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, they're like the consensus is he's like this offensive dynamo. But I'm why are these numbers the way that they are? So I, I'm just fascinated to see what it looks like out of the big team because I know they're I know for a fact they're playing legit NFL talent, yeah. defensive talent, and really good coordinators every week in the big well, team. And that also played a role in why they weren't running the ball either because they they could yeah. It it's it's a run ball. game. Run game looked different. And yeah. you mentioned the transfers. I mean, just totally flip. You know, the biggest flip, many Colorado outside of Dion, outside of Dion, and really quarterback, wide receiver, offensive line were really the big areas where they just really just are just taking any any warm body almost they could find. It seemed like to try to get that going. Um, also, they they took three key old quarterback transfers, which to me is just like to telling Pierce Clarkson to Take get out of town. Suck it. Yeah. 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 And so I. I, I think you're going to see that after the season. And what effect does that have on maybe some of those other guys in that class? But for Louisville, you look at the scat, like, he, the best thing he's done is just created an energy and a buzz yeah. where people are going to be fired up and excited. They're and he, the stands. They're going to be drunk he, on the party deck. He's good as an underdog. And mm-hmm. so if you pull a upset early, that's good in any type of first-year situation. And then um, and they're going to throw the ball. And Louisville likes to be flat. Like, I think their fans like – a little flash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They want to they be do. entertained. So they're going to like throwing the ball 50 times a game. Uh, but I think one thing people are sleeping on, like the win, the win totals creeped up to eight, and that yeah. is high. And I get why it's like that. Why it's so like ACC that. ACC stinks. But they're playing, at the end of the day, they're a team in the 30s in the power ratings, and they're playing 11 power conference opponents. If they're going to go 9-3, and three, they're going to have to have a stellar 50-50 game record. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not going to blow all these teams out. Like, when they play Duke and Virginia Tech at home, it's probably going to be a fourth-quarter game. Yeah. You know, they play, you know, Georgia Tech week one, they might blow them out. It could be close in the fourth quarter. They play Indiana and Indianapolis early in the season, they could blow them out. It could be close in the fourth quarter. And so I think people are underestimating, like, the grind that that is, even in the ACC. That's a lot of games against, you know, they have one really kind of throwaway game against Murray State. Everyone else, maybe Virginia, but Virginia's on the road. No, but they get Virginia at home, so that that could be one. But they're going to have a little bit of a grind of a schedule, and I think there's going to be more ups and downs than I think people are expecting. But for Louisville, the the pass like they're just going to be really, really pass heavy, and, and the they, numbers really stand out when you kind of dig into them. Where you're kind of like, oh my god, they really are kind of a ball control, pass heavy offense. And they have to be able to protect Plummer because he does not handle pressure well. And I don't, I don't know what that offensive line like. That's it kind of goes back to what we talk about a lot with Kentucky, right? What's how, how well is the offensive line going to be able to protect the quarterback? That's that's what's yeah. going to define the season for Louisville. So yeah, but that, I think with them though, they have kind of other op, at least one more option with Brady Allen. That's true. That's true. And they just loaded up on receiver. How good are those transfer receivers too? Um, Jamari yeah. Thrash, the Georgia State guy, got high expectation. But how good are the other ones? Um, Keon Coleman, Jackson State, Jaden Thompson, Cincinnati. Um, the kid from Tennessee, Jimmy Callaway, I believe, didn't really play at Tennessee. Right, right. And so just how good are those guys? And, you know, those backs Louisville had, like, Jawar Jordan's pretty good. What does he look like in this offense where maybe, you know, they're going away from, you know, Brom's going to throw it on first down. And if he's a second long, he's probably like, well, I'm not running it here either. 
And then we know he likes to throw it in the red zone. We, we saw that. Anybody oh, that yeah. met Purdue is probably <laughs> screaming at the clouds over the last couple of years because of that. Yep. So just how does it look and how, how pass heavy does it stay at Louisville? That's what I'll be watching closely. We'll be watching all of the games closely, and we'll be back next week talking about what we're seeing at Kentucky football camp. And also we'll be at June 14th, noon. That's a Wednesday. Come hang out. Lunch with 11 personnel. Uh, it's one of their 21 branches, and 14 different markets will be in Linden at Monticello Bank. But bank anywhere at GoNBC with the GoNBC mobile app or at NBCBank.com. Monticello Bank, where people matter. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Happy to have Monticello Bank on the 11 personnel team and happy to be hanging out with you all on the first day of June talking a little Kentucky football. We'll be back with lots more next week. Until then, go Cats and go Kroger. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.